Bible here. And if you would like to open it up to 1 Thessalonians, uh, that would be an awesome thing. Very good. That's okay. Oh, there you go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is where we're going to land here in just a second. There's a word I'd like for you to think about with me this week, and I bet you're going to feel lots of emotion when I uh, put it up here. Uh, if you go ahead and go put that next slide up there, if you would, Vanessa. So there we go. Ordinary. There you go. You feel excited for the next nine weeks of your Sunday mornings? Ordinary, right? See, some of you are yawning. Some of you checked out already. Ordinary. I don't need to be talked to about ordinary. I already feel ordinary. I don't want to feel ordinary anymore, right? That's the story of our life, of our culture. No one wants to be ordinary. So on the back of your sermon sheet, I'd like to read a quote from of an author and a, a professor by the name of Michael Horton, uh, who wrote a book a few years ago um, under the theme of ordinary. And he says this um, to us. Radical, epic, revolutionary, transformative, impactful, life-changing, ultimate, extreme, awesome, awesome, we should say that with a little more passion, emergent, alternative, innovative, on the edge, the next big thing, explosive breakthrough. Are you excited now? We've gone from ordinary to this is life. This is what we're talking about here. This is where we want to be, right? This is, this is what life should be right here, not ordinary. But he goes on to say, you can probably add to the list of modifiers that have become ironically part of the ordinary conversations in society and in today's church. Most of us have heard expressions like these so often that they've become background noise. Although we might be a little jaded by the ads, we're eager to take things to a whole new level. And then he says this, ordinary has to be one of the loneliest words in our vocabulary today. And the more I meditated upon that sentence, the more I agreed with it. Who wants a bumper sticker that announces to the neighborhood, my child is an ordinary student at Bumbling Brook Elementary? Right? Nobody wants that sticker, right? Who wants to be that ordinary person that just lives in an ordinary town, is a member of an ordinary church, that has ordinary friends, works an ordinary job? Our life has to count. We have to leave our mark, have a legacy, and make a difference. We need to be radical disciples, taking our faith to a whole new level. And all of this should be something that can be managed, measured, and maintained. We have to live up to our Facebook profile or Instagram picture or family Christmas picture, whatever picture most recently you took that makes it look like your life is all well and put together. And so here's the problem. There's a weariness that is set into our culture because of this pursuit of awesomeness and other, we're tired. And because we expect so much out of life and relationships, we end up putting pressure on ourselves, on our family, on our kids, on our vacations, on our dates, on our dinner parties, on our friendships. And unfortunately, nothing can live up to the hype or the expectation. And so that brings us back to this struggle with ordinary. When you hear the word ordinary, you probably don't get excited about it. We all like those words that, and many others that maybe get thrown around that say, this is what life should be. You don't want to be ordinary. And yet we're all tired. 
because we're trying to be amazing. We're trying to be something other than just ordinary. And in the pursuit, we're exhausting ourselves. We're frustrating the people around us because we expect so much from them and out of them. And it's just a bad place to be. For example, take your typical two, three, four, five-year-old birthday party, right? Have you been to one of those lately? I'm thankful that my kids are old enough now, and we used to go, I'm guilty of this too, so I'm not pointing any fingers when I say this next illustration, but it becomes a major event, right? It used to just be, back some of you, you got an orange, maybe for Christmas, and that was it, but it's not like that anymore, right? A birthday party comes, and, and we have to be, it's got to be like, epic, like epic birthday parties are the thing that, that I can't be seen as just having an average party. And so uh, we have all this pressure. And so we spend all this time, energy, money. And so the day comes of the party and we are stressed. We are fighting with each other. We're pretending to be happy at the party and then we crash. And why do we do that? Because of this cultural pressure to not be ordinary. We have to be above average. We can't be ordinary. And so we end up tired and weary and frustrated. And everybody remembers the party except who? The kid, right? The kid just wants a part present. My kids just wanted a present. They just want a simple day to celebrate with some friends over. And yet there's this pressure that sometimes that we, we put on ourselves. And it becomes much more than it needs to be. And so... Today, I just want to introduce this word, ordinary, and hopefully make you think about it over the next few days as we journey through this book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, when you read letters in the New Testament, uh, starting with Romans all the way back into the Titus's and Timothy's, and you read letters, and a lot of the letters that are written, a lot of, many of them by Paul, they're written because there's a problem. They're written because somebody's doing something wrong or somebody's sabotaging something that Paul has worked hard to establish and he writes a letter with a purpose. And 1 Thessalonians has a purpose too, but it's a, it's a simpler purpose. It's not to confront some big, bad, evil thing that's going on, although he's gonna have some corrective things for them. It's really just a friendly letter from a man who misses the church that he planted not too long ago. It's written by a man who, who came into Thessalonica and he was a church planter. And so he did what he always did. He went to the local synagogue where all the Jewish people were and he began to preach about how Jesus had come and he fulfilled all the things they'd been waiting for in a Messiah. And some of them were drawn to that message and they followed him. And there were some other Greek uh, thinking people that were more, that kind of came to the synagogue too. And they went with Paul and some prominent women from the community also became believers in Christ. And, and this little church was, was established. But after a time, the local synagogue got tired and feeling threatened and frustrated with Paul. And so they conspired with some bad guys to start a riot. And that riot drove Paul and his associates, Paul, or Paul and Silas and, and Timothy, out of town and so Paul is two or three towns removed. He's been run out of town from Berea. The next town he goes to as well. And, and so he's kind of a man on the run, but he finally finds a quiet place and, and he's still thinking of his new church back in Thessalonica and wonders how they are because he loves them. He cares for them. He has invested himself into them and he just wants to know how they're doing. And so he pens this little letter of 1 Thessalonians to send back to them with Timothy just to find out how they're doing. And this is the first three verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul and Silas and Timothy... 
to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, and we continually mention you in our prayers. So what's he thankful for? There's going to be two things he's going to say he's thankful for in this letter, at least. The first one's here, the second one's in chapter 2. But he says this to begin the letter. We are thankful, we remember you before our God and Father. We remember your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's this simple thing that he, he remembers of them. He remembers how when they heard of Christ and they began to follow after him, that there's this faith that began to grow and they began to serve others out of, out of that faith and it began to produce a love for God and for their church family and for their community and they began to do acts of love towards others. And it ins when it became hard, when the riots broke out and it became uncomfortable to be a Christian, they didn't stop. They continued. They, they were steadfast. They endured because they had this hope that Jesus was gonna come again someday. And so this faith and this love and this hope, these ordinary things, very basic things is what Paul says, I am most thankful for you about. Now in chapter three, he asks the question, um, he starts this sentence that I wanna show you the beginning of. Now think of Paul. Now Paul is an ambitious man. Paul did incredible things through his life, right? He, he loves to plant churches. He loves to do all these great things. But in chapter five, verse three, he says, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer after being separated from you, I sent to find out about what? What does he wanna know about them? It's the simple thing. It's the simple, ordinary thing called, do you still have faith in Jesus? Is there still this faith that you began this walk with? Look at the rest of verse five. I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. And as I process this, um, it just, as you keep reading into chapter four, Paul's prayer for them, his passion and his plea for them is, yes, he hopes they do a great work for God in Thessalonica and in the region. In fact, if we will see next week as you get into chapter one, they are having a great impact on their whole region because of their faith and their love and their hope. But he prays first, he's mostly concerned for at the basic level is this, are you still a people of faith? Do you still have this faith in Jesus, this love for Jesus and for his people and this hope that just keeps pushing you forward? Do you have this faith? And so there's a lot of things he could have told them to aspire to, but in, even in chapter four, there's these uncomfortable words where, where when we think about, man, my life has to be powerful and impactful and I have to leave a legacy and all this cultural thing, which isn't bad, but it certainly can send us on some goose chases emotionally and relationally. Listen to what Paul's prayer and instruction for them is in chapter four, verse 11. If Paul, the great apostle, was to say, I hope that you aspire to be, listen to what he says, I hope that you aspire to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to just settle down, mind your own business, don't be busybody gossips, and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. What was the base of what Paul was asking them to be? I hope that you will just do the ordinary things in life, getting up, going to work, doing the things that you do throughout the day, interacting with people. I hope that you will do those things, those ordinary things in such a way that you win the respect of outsiders. 
Now, oftentimes when we hear words like we began in that quote earlier of, of, of epic and revolutionary and transformative, there's a part of that says, hey, I want the world to respect me, so I'm going to do these things that are amazing. And in short term, the world may respect those things, but so oftentimes the things that ultimately we respect are very, very ordinary. And so today I just want you to think with me about the idea of ordinary. Now, you may not be excited yet, and that's okay. I get that, because I wrestled with this with, as I preached this. I thought, I hope that you hear what I'm saying, but don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? Does that make sense? And so this word ordinary is a word that I think can, can take us on some trails here, so I want to think about it with me. But really, the heart of this, I, I, I love this quote that somebody said, and I think I missed, didn't do the word right on the slide, but it says, stop trying to be so amazing and strive to be ordinary. If you insert the word be before ordinary. And as you listen to that sentence, you think, man, that's, that's not a comfortable statement because do I want to be ordinary? Is ordinary okay? Do I really want to be known as ordinary? Ordinary preacher, ordinary dad, ordinary husband. Are those things that on tombstone, write the word ordinary. That doesn't excite me very much, right? And so because our culture just is down that. So what do we mean by this word ordinary? Let's define it and think about what this means for us here as we think about Paul's talk to them. Ordinary, number one, means that ordinary Ordinary means everyone can attain it, is the first thing I want you to see. Ordinary means that everyone can attain it. Now, we, I watched with my son last night the NBA um, All-Star Challenge stuff last night. Their, their skills stuff, the slam dunks, all of those things that, uh, that were impressive, right? And so, don't laugh. That was my dunk from the 80s, all right? So, but that was, that was impressive, right? And if I was to say to any of us, hey, let's go out after church to the gym, let's do those things, okay? You're not going to be able to do them, all right? I've seen you play ball. You can't do them. Me, maybe. I'm kidding. I can't do them either. None of us can do those things. Those are for an elite level of athlete that exists in a small segment of the population. As much as I might want to, I may dream about it, may hope for it, it ain't going to happen, right? I'm not going to do any of those things because that's a different skill set that is never going to be attainable to me. And that can be true for spiritual things, right? Sometimes we can take the idea that, well, I, I'm never going to be uh, maybe a speaker or I'm never going to be a leader or I'm never going to be this or that. Fill the blank in with someone that you look up to spiritually and say, I, I, can, I could never be that and so I could never attain that. And so I'll just sit back, I'll watch them do that. But I love the way Paul defines what he's looking for, what he's thankful for. I'm thankful that there is a faith in Jesus Christ that simply is producing acts of love. You're learning to love one another in big and little ways, and you just continue to do that over time. Every one of you, if you're a believer in Jesus, can do that. You can believe in Jesus. You can look for opportunities to love somebody in his name, and you can continue to do that over the course of your life. You can do that. That is attainable for every follower of Jesus. Now, people may see it. They may not, and that's not really the point because if my life is to, goal is to be seen, Jesus said, then I've already got my reward. That's not the point of this. The point is to, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to know Jesus, and just to serve him out of the love that he grows in my life and to serve people that everybody 
can attain to. And so when you think about verses two and three again, when he talks about, I remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor predominated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. I just want you to think that that is not some, um, I don't have to jump over Shaquille O'Neal if you watched the slam dunk contest last night. You, yeah, there you go, there you go. You don't have to jump over that to be okay with God. That's a, that's a level of, of life that every one of us regardless of gifting, regardless of, of, of wherever, upbringing, whatever, all of us can aspire to that. And so when I talk about being ordinary, I am not saying ordinary is a bad thing. I'm saying that ordinary is something that everybody can do this. And so we're all invited into it. A, a second thing though, and, and this is where I've had to really struggle, is this, is that don't equate ordinary with mediocre. Don't equate ordinary with mediocre. And that's where I think a lot of us think, well, I'm just an ordinary guy. Well, that is a negative in our minds because we may be equated with mediocre or lazy or apathetic or less than. And that's not what the word ordinary means. Ordinary just means common, whereas mediocre means um, not very good, right? If it's a mediocre sermon, that's, I, I, I hurt from that. So, okay. If it's a common sermon, that's okay, I guess. And so an ordinary sermon, that's better, I think. And so, uh, but we wrestle with that term of, man, I just, I'm just an ordinary Christian. I'm just an ordinary follower of Jesus. No one's writing books and articles about me. I'm not, no one's not really maybe noticing that much. I'm just ordinary. And sometimes we can think, well, that means that I'm just mediocre, but that does not mean that at all. Ordinary, Michael Horton later in, in that blog post that I took that quote from, he would say this, ordinary does not mean mediocre. Athletes, architects, humanitarians, and artists can vouch for the importance of everyday faithfulness to the mundane tasks that lead to excellence. You see, there are, if you are any of those things, if you are an athlete, if you are an architect, if you are a humanitarian, an artist, a musician, a teacher, uh, a business person, whatever it may be, there are hundreds of ordinary things that you have to do every day in order to be those things, be one of those things. Take an athlete, for example, the food that you eat and the training that you do and the things that you learn and the practice that you put in may be very, very ordinary, but ordinary over time produces a great fruit or a musician who practices things that feel very ordinary on most days, they add up over the time to make you into something much more excellent than you are right now. And so all of us understand that. He goes on to say this, but even if we are not headliners in our various callings, it is enough to know that we are called there by God to maintain a faithful presence in his world. We look up in faith toward God and out toward our neighbors in love and good works. You don't have to transform the world to be a faithful mom or dad, sibling, church member, or neighbor. And who knows, maybe if we discover the opportunities of the ordinary, a fondness for the familiar and a wonder for the mundane, we will end up being radical after all. You see, impact that lasts, that really makes a difference, oftentimes has come from dozens and dozens, hundreds of days of very ordinary things. Uh, Michael reflected upon his grandpa earlier this morning and made me think of my grandparents who are now long gone in my life. And, but I can still remember the impact of many of the things they had in my life. Why is that? It's not because they were 
whatever words we used. They weren't epic grandparents, although they were great. They were not bad. They were just, they didn't do anything epic. They didn't build things. There's not statues built for them. But what did they do? They just did things over the course of hundreds and hundreds of days in their life. And so when you went to their house, it was the smells in the kitchen. It was the laughter around the table of playing a game with family. It was the habits they had, the decorations around their house, the conversations, the, uh, the hundred little things of just ordinary things that add up to a life that impacted me even decades later. And so when you and I think of ordinary, oftentimes we think mediocre or less than that is not what God is inviting us to. He is inviting us ultimately to a life of excellence, but excellence is oftentimes found in very ordinary ways, but they are done over the course of a long term, over many years of life, and all of a sudden, excellence is the byproduct of them. A third thing I want you to see is simply this. Don't miss the ordinary in the example of Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, if I'm going to be, who else, who could be more epic and uh, what are the other words? Epic and revolutionary, radical, transformative, impactful than Jesus, right? Because look at all the things Jesus did. It's these miracles and it's these things he said and it's this cross and it's this empty tomb. And those are very true things about Jesus. And Jesus did all those things. But we are not as drawn to the ordinary things that made up the 95% of the rest of Jesus' life. Yes, we know the 5% of the incredible, powerful things he did, but there's this 95% of the things that Jesus did, and those numbers are arbitrary. I don't know if that's true or not. But there's this other part of Jesus' life that, that what did Jesus do that was ordinary? Well, he read his Bible. He, he knew scripture. Right? He, at some point, he learned it. He read it. He memorized it. He prayed. How often in scripture do you find when Jesus withdrew to a quiet place? Very ordinary activity. No one standing there applauding him as he goes to pray, but it adds up. It added up in his life. It brought power and influence to his life. He went to church. He went to synagogue. He didn't have church. He went to synagogue, but he went to a place of worship over and over again. He gave himself to friendship. He gave, he served, he loved, and, and he did that over the course of years and it made a difference. Very ordinary things, but yet all of those ordinary things made a huge impact when they are multiplied, not just being done once, but being done over and over and over again in the course of his life. You see, maturity doesn't come in one-moment events. We love one-moment events, right? I love conferences. I love conventions. I love camp. I love, I, love, I love everything about all those things. Those are great places to go that we should do them. But if that's all that I'm thinking, that's all that's going to mature me as a Christian is the next conference or the next whatever event, then I'm going to be sorely disappointed with the lack of maturity that's growing in my life. Because how does God grow us? God oftentimes grows us over time with everyday faithfulness to very ordinary things, right? You have, I'm 46, 47, 46, 46 years old, almost 47, going to have a birthday this week. Just note that, Corbett, okay, presents, okay. All right, and so, uh, but I'm almost 47 years old. I'm kidding, no pressure there, Corbett. You don't have to buy me a present. And so, uh, but I'm almost 47 years old. How did I get here? Uh, I can't remember most of the meals I've eaten, but I've eaten, I don't do the math. What's four times, uh, four times a day? Snacks in between. So there's eight meals a day that, however many days that is for 47 years, I don't remember most of them. 
But one by one by one by one, they have produced this, okay? So you can laugh if you want. They have produced this, okay? And so thank you. It's sarcasm. I, I feel in those claps. Anyway, they've gotten me where I am today, right? Now, I don't remember most of them. They were very ordinary, and it's not an insult to anybody's cooking in my life, okay? They have been very ordinary meals that have gotten me here. And the same thing is true spiritually. I am where I am as the culmination of a lot of ordinary things, Hopefully I'm in a good place because I've done some good things in my life. There's some things that I'm not in a place where I should be because I have not done some very ordinary things I should have been doing more often. And so we are the product of a lot of ordinary things in our life. And so don't miss the ordinary. When you think of, well, I want, I want to be like Jesus, and that's where Paul is ultimately going to lead the Thessalonians to say, hey, you follow my example. We're going to see in the verses that follow next week. You followed my example as I was following Jesus, and so you became a follower of Jesus, following the example of Jesus, and thus you became an example that other people would follow. And so, but when they thought of that, it wasn't just, well, Jesus went about doing all these exciting, crazy things. They also followed his example, and they, they learned scripture, and they prayed, and they gathered together, and they helped each other, and there was giving and taking and, and sharing in that. And so there was this life that they imitated in Jesus that it seems very ordinary, but it becomes very powerful for them. And that leads to the last thing I want you to see with me. It's simply a question. Is it time to change your expectations? Is it time to change your expectations what do you expect to happen when you read your Bible? Now, I hope that you come to your Bible expecting something to happen. That should be the case, that you should open your Bible and say, I'm going to learn something. God's going to show me something. Expectations should be, should be good, right? You should be there. That's a good thing to have. But what do I expect when I pray? What do I expect when I go to church? When I go to, what do I expect when I serve people or, or when I give or when I meet with friends? Um, oftentimes, our expectations are just a lot higher than they should be, right? Uh, there was, I was listening to something this week, and a guy was talking about how when he had first had their small children, they didn't really go on a lot of dates anymore, and so, because there was just no time and, and energy to do that, and so, but then they finally got like eight months into this new baby, they got this chance to go out for a new date, for a date, and so they just hyped this date up as if it's going to be the, the date to end all dates, because they haven't gone on a date for eight months, and they built it up, and they got in the car and they began to bicker with each other because there's all this pressure about what you're supposed to be doing this and you're supposed to be doing this. And it just completely unraveled and became the worst night ever because their expectations were so high instead of just saying, you know what, I'm going to be happy tonight just to be with the person I love. I'm going to be happy tonight just to be with a person that I haven't got a chance to be with. And, and again, not that we don't have expectations, but we can sometimes set them so high that they're unrealistic, that no human being could ever meet them. And we end up disappointed and frustrated and we don't grow and we don't learn from them. And so maybe it's time to adjust our expectations. Now again, hear me when I say that. I'm not saying expectations are bad or we should not have them. They are, there should be those in our life. But is it time to change them or to adjust them? And in the same message I was listening to, the guy talked about, a, he's a preacher, and so he talked about how his Sunday afternoon for many, many years was the same. He would build himself up to preach his sermon on Sunday morning, expecting incredible things to happen after he preached. Right? Every preacher does that. It's just a little delusional thing that we build into our minds, right? Monday through Saturday, you're thinking, okay, Sunday's coming. I'm going to wow them. I'm going to amaze them. It's going to be epic, right? No one's ever said that about my sermons, I know. But just imagine with me. It's in my mind, it's going to be epic, right? People will come just wailing in tears at the end of the sermon. And all these things will happen, and Sunday comes and preach the sermon, and what happens? 
Nobody comes, nobody's sweeping, nobody's, no, no, you don't see much change very fast. Um, and so he'd go home and he would talk and sit in his chair, sad, disappointed, angry, uh, melancholy, I believe is the word he used. I don't know what that word means, but I think that means sad. And so he was, uh, he was not in a good place. And finally, his wife came to him and asked the question, well, what do you expect to happen when you preach? His example was, well, I expect revival to break out every time I preach. And she said, good luck with that. Uh, implying that your expectations are way up here. Maybe it's a better thing to think, you know what? I'm going to meet with God's people today. And maybe some great thing may break out. That's great. Or maybe we're just going to have a nice meal together. We're going to open God's word. We're going to look for something that we can learn from. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to walk out of here having think, I learned something today. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to try to be more like Jesus this week. One step and try to running a marathon in, in, in 30 seconds, right? It's that expectation thing again. And so when you and I go through life, um, we all battle things. We all battle unrealistic expectations. And so maybe instead of thinking, God, you've got to do this great miraculous work in my life in a week, maybe it's, God, would you do a small bite here this week and do a small bite this week and I'm gonna keep coming back for 60 years in my life and step by step by step by step by step by step by step over 60 years of time, look at all the things God's gonna do. It's about expectation, right? It's about that. Again, again, hear what I'm saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. We should expect, we should be eagerly anticipating for God to do things in our life when we open his word or when we pray or when we read or when we gather together. But make sure they're tempered with, with some reality that every week can't be Mount Sinai, right? There was only one Mount Sinai and we look at Mount Sinai and think how wonderful it must have been for God to speak to Israel on the mountain and Moses on the mountain. That happened once. And everything else you read in the journey was just building up to and leading out of. Everything else was ordinary days, but God was still wanting to work and, and do things in their life that they missed because it wasn't the mountaintop moment. And so, is it time to change your expectations towards people, towards relationships, towards God? God, you're going to grow me. One of my favorite books um, is a book, an old book, um, called, um, oh man, it's called, it's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, um, written by, someone help me here, uh, who was the, wrote the message, paraphrase. Eugene Peterson, you guys are smart. Very good, gold stars for you guys. Eugene Peterson, he died a few months ago. He wrote lots of books about ministry and serving God. And, and one of his, my favorite books he wrote was a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And when he wrote it, it was a book about a section of the Psalms, but it's all about just that daily, ordinary growth of walking with God. And that the reason that some people end up in this really mature, beautiful, respected place isn't because they were flashy for a moment. It's because they were faithful for a long time. They just daily walked with God and they learned from God and they talked to God and they walked with God's people and they helped God's people when they saw they were hurting and they received help when they were hurting. And over the course of a lifetime, how beautiful that becomes. And so when we go back to that verse when Paul says, hey, I want you to go live a quiet life and mind your own business and just do your jobs and do your thing. He's not saying just go be obscure. I think what he's saying is just go be faithful Go be faithful in all the ordinary things so that all those people that you live around as they watch your life, they're gonna see something worth respecting. 
as you try to win them over. And so ordinary is not a word that we're probably excited about, um, but it's a word I think that ought to excite us because it holds incredible power, incredible potential, an incredible amount of ability to transform our lives, not in a moment, on a flash, but just over the long course of time. I love the way Paul ends this letter. We read it last week if you happen to be here or watched it online. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24 is what God does when a life comes and says, God, I just want to be faithful in the ordinary things of my day. He says this, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you, transform you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So he's inviting you and I to a life of faithfulness in the very ordinary things. And he promises to be faithful to meet you in that process and do a good work.